0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I trust that you had uh, safe travels as you went to and from. I know many of you stayed here, had family come in. Others of us went out of town. Uh, we were in the mountains of North Carolina visiting my folks, which is always good. And there was only one day in which it was 19 degrees. The rest of the time it was actually in the 40s. And uh, it was just great, great weather. Just good time to uh, be with them. However, uh, it meant that yesterday we were on the road um, all day long. So I don't know when the last time you went to the mountains in North Carolina. Um, was, but I don't know when the last time we went to the mountains with six boys in a car. And that just makes for a long drive. We, it, it says it only takes eight hours. On the you know, Waze is what I use. I don't know what app you use or something. Waze is what I use. And it says it's going to be eight hours and 20 minutes. Ten and a half hours. That's what it just takes us um, in there. Uh, but we, uh, a lot of laughter and a uh, lot of joy at this go-round. It just was a uh, a, a great time. So uh, I trust yours was as well. Now, within every holiday, there is always fun and joy, and there's always difficult times for for many of us. We're reminded of some things that have happened. Maybe it is that we have lost a loved one or someone that we wish were around, etc. cetera. It, it, it always brings in a mix in every holiday. Let me say it this way. Real life, life that actually happens in our everyday world. Real life messes with the mind. There are things that we can see and and we have a hard time processing how should we think, what should we think uh, about it. Real life at times can just do a number on our minds. And so the subject matter for this morning, we're taking a pause in the series on 1 Peter, but in some ways not really because it's the same subject matter. Today we look at hope. Now, what about hope brings some sort of relief from real life? Hope may not change the circumstances of real life, but I assure you of this, true hope. Biblical hope. It actually is going to anchor the soul. So whereas life will bring difficulty, it will bring great joy and laughter, it's all of that. It's going to bring some difficulty and some uh, things are going to mess with our mind. True hope, biblical hope, is going to be an anchor for the soul. We'll see that here in a moment through the Scriptures. When we use the term hope, though, what do we mean? I want to rely once again on John Piper. We've given this definition in the past, but I find this to be probably the most useful definition of biblical hope. doesn't mean that uh, he is without error and everything, but I think he's got a, a good handle on this one. He says this, Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Say it again. It's very simple. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Now, here's the question. What is this hope rooted in? Because we can all hope for many different things, but what is the power source? What is the reason behind the hope? What what reason would we have for a hope in something that is good or desirable? Here's where Christians have a unique advantage. Because our desire, according to the scriptures, our hope, if you will, is actually rooted in a person. It is not rooted in an outcome. Because it is rooted in a person, it means that no matter what the outcome may be in this world right now, in the here and now, this person is capable of bringing hope to our soul. Because this person is capable of bringing good out of any and all circumstances. So think about it this way. Are you having difficulty right now that is just messing with your mind? Are you having difficulty at work? There's hope for work. Are you having difficulty in your neighborhood? There's hope for your neighbors. Are you having difficulty in your home? Kids, there's hope for your parents. There's hope for your children. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your siblings. Wherever it is right now that that life may be messing with your mind, there is hope. Because for the Christian, our hope is rooted in a person who is capable of using any and all circumstances for good. Now, you tell me, where else can that be found in life? Without a hope in this particular person, if my only hope lies in circumstances working out the way that I want them to work out, I can never have true biblical hope. It won't be a confident expectation. It'll just be a mere wish that I can strive as hard as I want to, to, to will this to happen, um, but it's not a guarantee. Hope. Hope is in a person. Hope ultimately means that we have to ask this question, do we or do we not trust God to fulfill the promises that he has made? God promised Adam he would deal with the problem of sin all the way back in the garden. And Adam and Eve had a choice to make. Will they put their hope in God or will they put their hope in sin being eradicated in the here and now? God promised Noah he would deal with the sin of the world at that point. Noah had a choice to make. I can either put my hope in God, or I can put my hope in the circumstances working out exactly like I want them to work out right now. promised Abraham he would bless the world through a child that would come from him. Abraham had a choice. He could either trust in God, he could believe God, or he could place his hope in that child coming right when he wanted it to come. We could go on. I won't do that through all the characters in the Scriptures. But all of them had to decide whether or not they would place their hope in God and His promises or whether they would place their hope in anything else. Real quickly, before we get to two main passages of Scripture, and we're going to do drive-bys by just several this morning. Tim Keller, David Powlinson, and a guy named Dick Keys have written far more extensively on these idols that they have come up with some clever names for. They are surface idols and they are source idols. And the surface is that which we see. It's a little easier to, uh, uh, to recognize. The source idols are beneath the surface, and they are actually what is generating some of these source, uh, some of these uh, surface idols uh, that we have. And they write about these four things. I believe this is Keller that put these term, uh, terms together, but I'm not sure. I know it's one of these three guys. It's just not mine. So somebody else did this, and they give uh, good, good, good categories here. First, root idol that drives our behavior they talk about is this. It is the idol of power. It is the demand that we have for influence or for recognition. The second one is closely related to it. It is control. This is when we have to have everything to go my way. And the belief that if things go my way, then everything will work out just fine and dandy. Now, let me ask you this. In your quest in life, in your daily living, have you found that unlimited power, wherever it may have surfaced in your life, did it grant you what your heart desired? If you had all of the influence that you wanted, if you had all of the ability All of the recognition, did it actually give your soul what it is that you were looking for? How about all the control? Being able to control every single aspect of your life, of your spouse, of your kids, whatever. If you had that, do you think it would give you what your soul is actually looking for? The third that they mention is the idol of comfort. This is where we avoid difficulty and we are seeking ease and pleasure, oftentimes, again, at the expense of anything difficult or challenges that we have to work through. Looking to get away from something that may just be beneficial in our life as it builds strength and character, et cetera, but getting away from that because I just can't handle difficulty. And then finally, the fourth idol that they mention is one of approval. It is the need to be accepted, desired, validated, et cetera. Now, Take any of these four, and none of these are bad in and of themselves. Not a single one of these are bad in and of themselves. To borrow Keller's phrase, they become bad when they move from good things to God things. In other words, when I try to usurp the authority of God, when I want the power that God alone has, when I want the control that God has, when I want the comfort that God provides... That can't right, and when I want the approval, I'm in there. Uh, that's when, um, that's when things go 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 south for us. Now, why do we bring this up? Because identifying at least one of these helps us to see well. What is my natural? Benefit? How do I naturally approach life? Which which one of these four is, is, is the one that gets you the most often? Or you may be like me and say, it really is any of the four at any, all four of them I struggle with at different phases of my life. There is one in particular, though, that I find that that uh, 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 gets me more often than anyone else. Well, which one gets you? And the reason to ask the question is this, because whatever one of these um, tends to get us to ease, whatever the idol of our heart is, is going to derail our hope. Because when my hope comes in my power, I am missing out on trusting God and the promises that he gives. When my hope lies in my acceptance, I'm going to do everything I can to please you. Whenever our hope lies in any one of these directions, we will fear not having this and it will drive us to try to do everything we can to gain it. Oftentimes, it will come at the expense of those that are around us. Now, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can jot these down. We're going to do some drive-bys very quickly. I want to give you a, so what an overview of what the Scriptures have to say about hope, how it even defines it, and, uh, and then we're going to sit for one last little bit on just one passage. But Ecclesiastes 9.4, uh, you can write that down. Says this that all who are alive has reason for hope. He who is joined with the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. All who are alive have reason for hope. That's the first thing. Second thing scriptures would teach us about hope. God's people in particular are a people of hope. Zechariah 9 12 says this Return to your stronghold and listen to the title he gives to his people, O prisoners. Of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you doubly. He's writing to those that are in exile, those that have been captured. And he calls them prisoners of hope. All who are alive have reason for hope. God's people are a people of hope. Third thing is this hope itself is in God. Psalm 65 5 says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. He's referring now to the God of that salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. God himself is the hope, he says. Psalm 71, 5. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. You, O Lord, are my hope. And then finally, one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures from Lamentations chapter three, we've said this many times, Lamentations being one of the darkest books in the Bible, Lamentations three being one of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible, maybe saved from the crucifixion itself, is met right in the middle with this little bright spot of hope. And right there in that little bright spot of the darkest chapter, in the darkest book in the Bible, it says this, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Number four, not only is hope in God, hope is also from God. Psalm 62, 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. So my hope is in the person of God, but my hope is also from the person of God. In other words, he gives me the power and the strength to actually hope in him. So here we go. You ready? Ready? For you and I this morning, for all of us this morning, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we have no excuse that says, I just can't put my hope in God. God says, I will be your hope, and I will actually give you the power to hope in me. Now it just comes down to whether or not I'm going to trust him. Of all the passages that we go to in the Old Testament, Take note of this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me here because we'll spend just a few minutes in it. Jeremiah chapter 29, it's going to be verses 11 through 14. Now, who is Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord that was called to go and to minister faithfully. Does anybody know how many converts Jeremiah got to see in his ministry? How fruitful it was. He got to see people left and right turning away from your sin and to the Lord, correct? No. Jeremiah, for a long time, ministers faithfully before God. God calls him into ministry. Now, get this. The prophets in the Old Testament, God was calling to say, go to my people and tell them exactly this. Now, we don't know how God did that. Did God speak audibly? Probably some form of that was there. They got something in their hearts and minds. God said, go share this with my people. And so, get this. They are confident they have the message of God. They are confident that this message of God holds power. They are confident that God himself has rescued on many different occasions. And throughout the history of the country, he has rescued them over and over and over again. So they have this history of of, of turning away from God. And then God would bring about some sort of suffering, etc. That would draw them back to God. They would repent. God would bless them. They would go away from God. Suffering, repentance, go to God, away from God. You see the pattern. It goes on and on. Jeremiah had seen this pattern. He knew this pattern. And he has the words of God for the people of God, and everyone just ignores him for years, decades. And Jeremiah, in writing to the people of God, has this to say. Now he's talking on behalf of the Lord. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, these are people that are um, experiencing some difficulties in their life right now, and and it would be very uh, understandable to look up and say, God, where are you and what exactly are you doing? So as they didn't have the power that they wanted, as they didn't have the influence that they wanted, they didn't have the the acceptance that they wanted, they didn't have any of these things. They're looking up and they're saying, okay, God, where are you? And God comes in and he says, I want you to know I have plans for you. Right where you are, in your present circumstances, I have plans for you. And they are not plans for evil. They're plans for good. In fact, I plan to to make you successful, but, but I'm going to give you hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The people who are looking out, and the worst of all the pains that we experience in life is the pain of separation from God. When we sense that he is distant, when he is cold, when he is not listening, when he is callous in many ways, that's the most difficult pain that we deal with. And so the people now, uh, God speaks to them and says, I want you to know I have plans for you. And my plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. It's not for evil. I'm going to give you hope. And what is that hope? I'm going to be with you. And you're going to call upon me, and you're going to find me. I will be found by you. My friends, is there anything else, that, again, that anything more in life that you would desire for your neighbor, for your workplace, for your spouse, for your child, for your parent, for your sibling, that when they call upon the Lord, the Lord will be found by them? I will be found by you when? When you seek for me with all of your heart. Meaning that there is a repentance that takes place. We've said this many times in the past. Repentance is not moving away from bad deeds and turning to good deeds. It's not turning away from doing wrong things and then doing right things. Repentance is turning away from self on the throne or anybody else on the throne and turning to the person of Jesus, acknowledging his lordship, coming back to him so that he might straighten out my life. You will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Now, does this mean that there is not one hint, not one scintilla of an idol in our life? Of course not, because that's not possible in this lifetime. It means that what is driving me in life is, oh God, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to experience you. I want want to, to, to listen to you when you talk, and I want to talk to you and know that you listen. Is that what you have with the Lord? Or do you have something far more service? Where you sort of approach him, I guess, in the mornings and you wake up and you say, you know, I probably ought to read something in the Bible because I know that reading the Bible is a good thing and there's probably some instruction there for me for the daily life day. So I probably ought to open up the scriptures and let me open up. And so God, would you just guide me and direct me? And so Lord, today... Oh, Lord, God of vengeance. Oh, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up and judge it. Wait, I don't like that one, Lord. Let me go to something else here. The Lord is my shepherd. I I like this one. Is your life a relentless pursuit of the person of Christ? Or is it just some religious activity mixed with the Bible? How you approach this Christian life will reveal what drives you. If it bugs the snot out of you when God seems distant, if it almost drives you crazy, if you're burdened by the fact that you sometimes feel like you're praying and it's just bouncing off the wall, if that bothers you, you're likely driven by the right thing in life. If it doesn't dawn on you that you've gone days without praying. That you've gone days without really sitting and listening and absorbing and saying, God, what is it that you want to say? If you can go weeks on end without that, you're probably not driven by the person of Christ. I would say this. Hope is found in a person. Not an outcome. So There's lots of religions that we can go to to find an outcome, a behavior that we would like, but there's only one that gives us hope in a person who can use all circumstances, any and all circumstances to bring about good. I will be found by you when you search for me with all of your heart. What happened at the incarnation because the people of the Old Testament were patiently they were waiting in expectation of this sin problem to be dealt with. They knew that Adam had gotten the promise. They knew that it had been furthered with Noah, that Abraham had been given the promise that God, the whole world be blessed. We know that this sin was going to be dealt with, and they were waiting, 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 waiting for this Messiah to come, and then Jesus hits the earth. And then now I just want to read to you something that I find to be profoundly helpful from a guy named D.R. Denton. He says this, Knowing the character of God and his faithfulness to the covenant and having experienced his saving power once in an outstanding way at the Exodus, the Israelites had solid grounds for basing their hope on God. Conversely, hope was also anchored in him because of their confidence in his capacity to do again what he had performed in the past. In other words, by the time Jesus hits the scene, they have every reason to believe that God is going to do it yet again. The difference was, when the baby went into the manger, sin was going to finally be dealt the death blow. It was not just promised in the future, it was now happening before their very eyes. So Jesus then lives the life that we could not live. He died the death that we should have died. He was raised again from the dead, proving his power over sin and death. And now he sits at the right hand of God, and his record can be given to all who come by faith in the person of Jesus. Sin can finally be dealt with. Paul says it this way. Paul writes about hope over and over and over again in the Scripture. Paul says it this way, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Death doesn't have power. Sin doesn't have power. Where does your hope lie when it comes to you dealing with your sin? In your ability to observe the law? In your discipline? Even in your pursuit of the person of Christ? Does your ho- <clears throat> hope for overcoming sin in your life, does it lie in what it is that you ultimately can do? If it does, I have some really great news for you today. You are going to fail miserably. And not just today, tomorrow, and the next day, and then for the rest of your life, you will fail every day at trying to manage your sin. You will never be powerful. But if your hope is in what the person of Jesus has already done and can do and will do in you, then you will find great satisfaction of the soul. At the incarnation, Jesus Now listen to this. Matthew 1 says it this way. All this took place, talking about all of the things that happened for Jesus to come to. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All that he says in Jeremiah search for me, chase after me, get after it in your pursuit of me. All of that is true, yes and amen. But ultimately, what was our hope? Our hope doesn't lie in my ability to even get to God. It's in God's ability to get to me. It's Emmanuel, it's God with us. What about today? What does hope look like for today? And this is where we wind down. Romans 15, again, Paul writes about hope more than any other New Testament author. We won't do uh, uh, much at all in terms of looking at that, but listen to Romans 15, verses 12 through 13. He's quoting Isaiah. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Packed right here. Quoting Isaiah, obviously referring to the time in which Jesus would come to the earth. Paul is looking back in hindsight. Isaiah was looking forward to this root of Jesse. And then it says that the Gentiles will place their hope in him. That's us. Us Gentiles. Who, because when Jesus invaded the space here on earth, when Jesus came and did what only he could do, and, and 12 men got radically transformed by the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends upon them at Pentecost, and they are completely and utterly different people. And because then they were on a mission to make sure that the whole world had an opportunity to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Thousands of years later, in Tallahassee, Florida, would be a group of people that would gather together that are the beneficiaries of people who gave up their very lives for the purpose of the gospel. And we have the opportunity to put our hope in him. So as the Gentiles put their hope, now look again, may the God of hope, it is the God, may he fill you. May he give you all of the joy and the peace that comes with believing. Believing what? Believing God. Believing his promises are true. Resting in what it is that he can and will do. Has already done. So that. This is great. This is where the whole sentence is leading. So that the power of the Holy Spirit. mm, By his power, we're going to abound in hope. Say it this way, and then we look at one last passage. We have been given this message, this gospel message, and he's telling us here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to live lives of hope because all people, according to Ecclesiastes, have reason for hope. But the people of God are specifically prisoners of hope. We have been captured by Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now live out lives in front of a watching world who is desperately looking for something to hope in. Because we all long to hope in something. And the Holy Spirit gives you, gives me the ability to live it out right in the face of other people so that we can just then point them Point them to the person of hope. Here's where we go. This is Hebrews chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. we we'll go from verses 13 through 20. It's only sitting really on one part of it. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear. I mean, he, he couldn't swear by one greater than He swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Going back to the promise given to Abraham. All the promises that were given to Abraham, he's writing that as an example. Abraham had the choice. He could either believe God or he could believe something else. He could either have hope in the person of God or he could have his hope in something else. He chose to wait patiently and believe in God, even though many around thought he was foolish in the process. And he says that we now, as those who are coming after Abraham, those who have received the promise, we now have the opportunity in the same way to wait and to trust but here's the difference. Abraham didn't have the ability to look back in hindsight and say, Jesus did something very unique, though. At his crucifixion, Jesus went into that inner sanctuary. Remember what happened at the crucifixion? When Jesus dies, what happens to the curtain? The curtain is torn from top to bottom, meaning that God is getting rid of the barrier between God and man. And through the person of Jesus Christ, now God, the God of hope can bring peace to all men. In your workplace. In your home. In your neighborhood. Wherever it is that you have folks that you love dearly, what is your hope for them? Is your hope that you will simply live a much more impressive life in front of them and that they'll think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread? Or is your hope, oh God, open their eyes that they might see who you are and use me in the process. And God, I'm okay if you want to use my failures, so be it. Because I'll confess it. I'll let them know that I didn't just need Jesus years ago in order to get past some sin problem. I need Jesus right now at this moment to help me live life. If your hope is in the person of God, you have great reason to have confident expectation of what God can do. But if your hope is in what you're capable of doing, even good things, you're going to be disappointed. Real life messes with the mind. True hope, biblical hope, it anchors the soul. So my friend, whatever idols it is that you have today, fret not. Turn to Jesus and you will find that your soul will be at rest.